0: OutdoorEdge.com.
1: Welcome to the Hunt of War Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is Episode 119, Epper's Table Series, Mitchell Shirk. On this episode of of Huntivore, Nick is joined by host of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast, Mitchell Shirk. Together, the guys unpack the unique hunting traditions of Pennsylvania and how they also relate to many of the northern states' Big Woods traditions. Mitchell also tells about bears and bear hunting, a practice that gets him very excited. And to finish off the discussion, Mitchell lays out his favorite celebration meal and his dish to pass at the emperor's table. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode of Huntivore. And while I got you here... Word-of-mouth advertising is the best way in order to let people know about what you're doing. I think one of the second ways to do that is to have people who are already behind you give you ratings and reviews. So folks, I would ask, please leave a rating, please leave a review. I would love to be able to share with more individuals on how to get more out of their wild game. And that's where I'm going to need your help. So anyway, if you could do that, That would be swell. Anyway, on with the show. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappyqueue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your queue. Dry-aged steaks used to be a steakhouse-only indulgence. An old-world charcuterie was pricey due to being imported or created at a small batch-specific scale. Thanks to Umai dry, their synthetic dry-aging bags and casings allow you to create these meat-crafting treats in your own kitchen. Working in tandem with your fridge, the Umai Dry bag material allows moisture and air to pass through, making it possible to dry-age large cuts of steaks or roasts. Paired with their curing and seasoning kits, along with safe and easy-to-follow instructions, salamis and dry sausage are well within your grasp. Use the link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter to receive 10% off your order. Dry, helping us elevate our wild game from the home kitchen. Well, hey folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. Man, I tell you what. Old Mother Nature here is going to send us through the ringer once again. Here we were sitting the other day in the 40s, and we have ice coming to us uh, to the point where I believe the weatherman said extreme. Um, I know they can be a little extreme themselves, but normally when a meteorologist says that, we're going to have to buckle up. So hopefully I don't lose power and can continue to edit this podcast out later but that's neither here nor there. Folks, I'm joined with a fellow member of the Sportsman's Empire uh, podcast network. I am here with Mitchell Shirk of the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast. Mitchell, thank you so much for jumping on this evening. Hey, how are things in your neck of the woods?
0: Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. I always love it when I'm uh, a guest on a podcast and not doing the hosting. It's just a change in pace and it's fun. And I, I learned from listening to your introduction that uh, you're a lot more elaborate and more well spoken in your introductions than I am. So I'm going to have to step it up from that. <laughs> Things are going pretty well for me, Nick. Uh, you talked about your, your weather. We actually, this week, have like almost 70 degree weather. And then I looked this weekend, uh, it's supposed to drop down and potentially have snow. So that 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 uh, frigid weather you're talking about moving in through you I think it's it's working its way east but now things are good things are uh, I hate to say the word busy they're definitely something along those lines though it's that it's it, it just seems like it never never slows down in life but now things are good so yeah
1: Well good deal good deal Mitchell what got you on the path to start the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast like what decided What made you decide this was the avenue that you wanted to create a hobby about all the hobbies that you have?
0: <laughs> it's a loaded question. Um, so I didn't pick podcasts; it picked me. Uh, kind of a unique situation how it happened. So I I'm good friends with a friend of mine named Devon. And he is the owner of Little Mountain Outfitters down here in southeast Pennsylvania. And I've been friends with him for a long time. I got to know him because his dad was one of my clients. So his dad had a, had a dairy farm. I'm an agronomist by trade. So I was working um, with him for crop protection purposes. And got to know them because they're avid hunters, avid bow hunters, and you know, as time went on, that relationship built. Used to go in and shoot his archery league, and we'd just go in. Every time I drive past the shop, I've had some time to stop in and and shoot the breeze. And at one point, he goes, uh, "What do you think about starting a podcast?" I was like, "I don't think much of it. Like, I don't, I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts in the first place. It, It, you know, it didn't seem like my thing." I'm like, "Why do you ask me this?" He goes, "Well." He said Dan Johnson on the Nine Finger Chronicles is trying to build up his his network of podcasts, and he's looking to do a state specific show, and Pennsylvania is one of them. He goes, "What do you think about auditioning?" I was like, "I think you're nuts, but hey, I'll I'll roll with it. Well, I'll I'll try it." So it was kind of like a joke. Like I, I borrowed some equipment, and we set this audition podcast up, and you know I, I think we talked about our we just did like a season recap i think it was in the winter time after the hunting season send it to dan and it was actually really quick he responded like dude you guys knocked it out of the park i want you on i was like oh oh wow Now this is real i thought this was a joke like they actually picked us so (laughs) we did we did it for uh the two of us we were going every other week uh starting off really slow went for the first three months and he said you know this was fun, but I got too much going on in my life. My my business blew up, my family's growing, I got too much. I can't do this amount. So I had a, I had a decision right there. I was like, "Well, I didn't pick this, and I can't say that the technical side of it is something that I really, really enjoy. However, it opened up a lot of cool doors, and I was enjoying the conversations and networking with people. And uh, I decided I'm going to I'm going to ride this out, see where it goes, and um Here, almost two years later, here I am. And it's, uh, it's been fun. I, I, I enjoy saying that I have a podcast now. I don't, I don't hide that from people.
1: That's awesome. I loved I love the phrase that you said that you didn't choose podcasting. Podcasting chose you literally, Hey, do this. And then dropped on your lap. What you do bring though, is a wealth of knowledge that I think is really unique, um, Pennsylvania I we I, I see a lot of similarities between Michigan and Pennsylvania and I know I think oh, we've Thomas. talked about this before too we've got large pockets of ag but at the same time we also have elements of the really big wilderness we have the big woods as you refer it and the way that you speak about that habitat the way you speak about chasing white tails chasing black or uh, black bears even small game hunting I can just feel the passion that you have beyond, Like through that environment. That's your style of hunting. Talk about the spot that you really enjoy up there in those big woods. What makes it unique and what makes it a huge draw to you every time you head up there?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I started out, like, I was one of those that, like, I was, you know, from the hip to walk, talk. I, I could hunt. I wanted to go hunting. I loved it. So I, I grew up. Doing a mixture of both. Like I'm from Southern Pennsylvania, and like the, the the way our our state kind of works, and it's probably similar to where it, like we have uh, we have a lot of lot of high populated areas of people in the southern part of the state, and, and uh, you know back a couple generations ago there weren't any deer in that portion of the state or very very few but people would head north for deer camp and uh, that kind of was like part of the heritage and you know everybody would go go north during the our our firearm season lots of stories and stuff there dynamic kind of changed over the years and now it's more populated with deer in the southern part of the state you know the the population's higher more spread out Uh, the dynamic of hunters has changed so like, when I grew up, I had groups of people and family and friends that still went to deer camp, and that was in my blood. And then uh, they, they went to bear camp, which I'll talk about too, which is in northern Pennsylvania. But I grew up hunting a lot down home. It was right out by back step. Within 20 minutes, I could be on a piece of family land and, you know, other little nooks and crannies I hunted close to home. And I, I grew up with a fascination of... Private land, manipulating stuff to make hunting better, and, and the 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 phase, or I shouldn't say phase, the the hype of QDMA, which I, I love quality deer management. I love that concept, and I still love it. I, my my true passion is like food plots and wildlife management uh, type things, but the the big woods and going north to camp has been an allure that's grown on me much, much deeper the past, I'm going to say, five or so years, five, seven years. And it all started, so I went to school really, really close to where my cabin is. My cabin is about two hours north of me in kind of like that north-central part of Pennsylvania. And going close to camp, every year, Dad And his buddies would come up and go to deer camp. then I'd come up that first week. And then I started, you know, doing a little bit of still hunting there. Then I'd go up and I'd archery hunt a little bit. And uh, and I graduated college, and it it still hung on with me. And then I went to, uh, I'll never forget the one year I decided, I'm going opening day of our firearm season with Dad to deer camp. I hadn't done that since I was like 14, 15 years old. I'm like, I'm doing that. And uh, that first year... Uh, back up. I still hunted in an area, and I I killed, at the time, my best buck I ever killed, and it was was a crazy story. Uh, But that just drew me, because it was like that, it, it was the allure, there's something that allures me about going to a place that I don't have cell service, and it's just big, vast woods, mountains, and swamps, and hills, and hollows, and, you know, the whole nine yards. There's just something that's just drawing to that, but part of that, too, was the areas I was hunting were in and around places that there was a ton of history in our camp. So being a part of a of a place that had my grandfathers and uncles and dad and you know cousins and all the stuff and they talk about oh this story over here at this orchard and oh the the Mims knob and the big swamp and uh, over in the ridge and Charlie's log and like and all these specific places like going and seeing those places and then adding to the story in camp. That's been a big draw, so then I kind of expanded on it from there. I, I'll, I'll be the first to say this. Like, if you listen to my podcast, please know, like, I am not the big woods full of knowledge guru. Like, I am am really in a huge learning phase, I think. I mean, I hold my own, but, like, there's a lot of better big woods mountain hunters th- than me, but uh, it's, just, it's just something that's just growing on me.
1: I love the aspect that you had there, too, that you were talking, like, not only is it just the big woods, and you're still learning that, and it's still one of those puzzle pieces that you're each year you're putting something together, putting something together, like we're, we're going to figure this out, and we're going to pull out an even bigger buck. We're going to find where the deer are really hoarded up here. But that piece that you said that brings history, the piece that you've got relatives that are in there that have past been in there, you've got these landmarks that you talk about, that's, that is so cool. As someone who just started hunting, I guess – I'm an, I'm the adult onset hunter, having a family be in agriculture, especially spe- in the time of like with turkeys, like during se- during deer season, you don't have time for that. And then oh, no. school, I chose, I chose athletics. I chose wrestling, um, which ran right along that time. So to even go out to the woods and chase deer, it just, it was never, it was never there. It wasn't an opportunity that we had. We have tons of other history elsewhere, But being the only family member to then finally venture out and go to the back 40 and be like, rather than just see the deer and kind of like just kind of know that they're there, I'm actually going to pursue them. And I'm I'm building what I what I essentially think is like this history, like I'm watching guys that have just chapter after chapter of grandfather did this and uncles did this and this is where they sat and this is what they did. and This was their quirks and. I feel like I'm starting that, like I'm just, I'm like in the introduction right now. I'm writing that out with my style of hunting, with, with what I'm doing. And we're getting into chapter one with my boys, um, being able to pass that on to them, whether they pick it up or not, but it's just, it's so cool to see like, like how, how important your grandfather was to you specifically and to not, not to put that yoke on myself, but for my boys and then their kids that come along eventually, like, I want to at least kind of lay lay some groundwork and to see from you guys like that groundwork means so much. You travel two hours to this cabin uh, just to just to live history and to enjoy hunting. And that's that is just a very neat thing that I think is it's dying around these different places. Hunting camps are still out there, but it is very unique that what you talk about, Mitch.
0: It is unique. And don't get me wrong. I'll be the first to admit I'm very blessed in what I have and I'm thankful for it. Um, I, I just did a podcast with uh, with another show, and we were talking about very specific things to Pennsylvania and hunting regulations. So a couple things that are, are unique to Pennsylvania. Our firearm season has always started the Monday after Thanksgiving. And I believe it was in, I'm going to say around 2019, they changed it to the Saturday to give, to give guys an extra day in the woods, an extra weekend. And then another thing that we're in the preliminary phases of, I think this is going to be, let's say year three, year four, something like that. We, uh, we we don't have Sunday hunting allowed in Pennsylvania, except for I think you can hunt like crows, foxes, coyotes, and then now they've opened up three Sundays where, and, and, and the, the dates are very specific and when you're allowed to Sunday hunt. So we were kind of talking about the controversy over those things, and we the, the thing I've learned is so much of why people feel we should have it one way or the other is all based upon uh, the, the, the heritage, the history, and this is the way we've always done things. And I get that, and I'm not discrediting that, but I also, there's a part of me that says, like, the only thing that stays the same is everything changes, too. So I think we need to embrace that a little bit. Like So I've, I've, I've kind of, of the mindset, like, if we can encourage hunting opportunity... Um, we can still have history and heritage, even if the starting date of one deer season is moved today. I don't know, but, um, yeah, like, that history thing is huge. And, like, you talk about states that um, there's a ton of hunting heritage. I mean, all those high hunter density areas like Pennsylvania, New York, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, there's a a ton of of history and deer camps and stuff that go on on throughout them states, and i'm I'm just fortunate to be part of it
1: that's awesome and yeah you did you did steal my joke. I was gonna say, and you know what Michigan really it's the 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 pinnacle time of taking your first deer is a Sunday. I feel like that's the highest deer take uh, really of, of any day. no, I was totally pulling those numbers out. I was just just
0: being a jackass. (laughs) (laughs) I I believed you. Hook, line, sinker, you had me. I was like, really? I was like, oh, it'd be something to use here. I I thought you were, you know.
1: (laughs) No, I was just knowing that you can't. You can only look at them. You can't touch them on Sunday. Uh, I have another friend in Pennsylvania, Nate, that I love. I'm always asking him when I'm sitting on Sunday morning, like, "Hey, what you doing? Do you, what are you seeing?" <laughs> He's just like, "I'm I'm sitting in church." So should you?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, it's been it. I've been part. I did a little bit of the Sunday hunting, like partaking in the Sunday hunting. So one of one of the Sundays that's open is during our bear season. So. When when I go to bear camp, like we're there, we're going to bear hunt. So I did, but like, I haven't, I haven't in part partaken in a lot of the Sundays, not that I don't want to, but it's like, I put such a big focus on it. And I know like the phase of my, my life with my family, like, I don't want to, I don't want to abuse free time on, on them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Very true. Very true. Great segue because one of those Sundays you were hunting was for black bear, and i am very intrigued with black bear hunting it is it is very cool it is i i highly uh desire to get a piece of bear to get some of the fat i want to play with it i want to use it i want to try it out because from what i hear it is very rich meat it is something that you're going to get a bomb of flavor off of it's the the oil and the bear grease that you get is just incredible, not only in flavor, but in texture and just how you can use it anywhere from, you know, being able to sear a steak into it to making biscuits. It's just a, a, an end all be all. But I'm also one of those guys that likes I things that are concrete, things that are kind of already set in stone that if I'm hunting from the ground and I miss with my bow, All of a sudden, there's a role reversal, and I'm just not ready to go from hunter to hunted at that point in time. What is it like bear hunting in Pennsylvania? Is it... It's one of those things, I'm sure, that just puts every hair on the back of your neck on edge when one of these boars comes walking through.
0: Honestly, I can't say it's like that at all. Um, I, I have never... Except for this year. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. So, I, like, as an agronomist, one of the things I'm doing is walking crop fields. And I walked into a standing cornfield this year and had a bear grunt at me and get louder. I never saw it, but I heard it. That was the only time I had, like, the hair on the back of my neck stand up and was nervous by a bear. But, like, bear, black bears are not animals that make me nervous. There, there's, there's only a couple times where they would make me nervous. Number one... Uh, Spring, early summer, when you've got that uh, breeding season going, on, you've got young male dispersal, they will do some crazy stuff. Like we had some in some cities that had to get tranquilized and stuff like that. Those are unpredictable bears. They're young and they're stupid. That would be a time I'd be a little bit uneasy. Another one would be a sow with cubs. We, we have a couple of instances of people getting in between a sow with cubs for various reasons, and then there would be a mauling attack. But to be honest with you, I, I personally... I, I've never ever been in a situation bear hunting. I was nervous. I'm not saying people haven't. I I, I know stories. There's some in camp like trailing wounded bears. That's a little bit different. Uh, mm-hmm. Fortunately, we haven't had a lot. But uh, bear hunting in Pennsylvania is unique. So we can't hunt with with hounds in Pennsylvania, and you're not allowed to use bait of any form. In fact, you can't even bait. You can't even feed bears in the off season uh, anymore. So it, it is truly man against beast. The only thing that you're allowed to do um, is is group hunt. You're allowed to make drives. So I grew up, like from the time I was 12 years old, I grew up going to a camp. And I actually, I actually hunt for, for the, the statewide specific bear season. I actually go to a different camp. Um, I've always gone to that one. But anyway... From the time I was twelve, we get together and camp. Will have anywhere from I think I had as low as like twelve to fourteen guys one year, and upwards as high as twenty-two one year. And we'll we'll make drives and you know have it have an organized uh, watch in a specific location. And uh, the the mountains that we hunt are steep. Uh, they're uh, they're not you know big long mountains, but they're they're steep. Um, probably. Eh, sometimes, you know, thousand foot changes in elevation, maybe more. I'm not good at judging that. I shouldn't have said that. Um, but no, You're very talking a
1: Flatlander here. So as soon as you said a thousand, I'm like, wait, whoa, what?
0: <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think I'm have, exaggerating. You have a high and
1: rise of like maybe 100 to 200 where we're at. Nothing compared to where you guys are.
0: Yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. I have to think. I, I should be a little bit more prepared for a question, but this explains. So we've got steep hollows and side hills. Um, we've got a lot of mountain laurel and rhododendron, which creates very, very thick quality cover. And uh, we, we personally hunt a lot of very steep side hills that are covered with that. So the, the walking in the terrain is, is pretty crazy. As a driver, I pretty much go out with um, like a pair of brush pants, t t-shirt, an orange pullover sweatshirt. And my gun and a couple of bear essentials that I can put in my pocket or my belt, and like that's all I wear. And if like I have to, if I have to sit and wait and get cold, I just build a fire and, and just stay warm that way because I I want to be as minimalistic as possible walking through. But it's it's really unique. And, and what's the other thing that's interesting is so I've I've gone bear hunting for a number of years. Now I'm in a phase of my life where I'm trying to actually become a bear hunter. And there, there's things I'm learning that we do that don't can be wrong we've had a lot of success have been part of a ton of, of bear harvest but uh now i'm starting to notice certain trends and certain things and uh, I'm, I'm trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together to kill one in pennsylvania with a bow you know without using hounds and, and bait and stuff so it's a it's a unique hunt and a lot has changed with our seasons and stuff to make it uh, more opportunity because we have a good bear population but yeah it's a it's uh, Pennsylvania's a unique, a unique state for, for black bear.
1: Yeah, Michigan's got a season and I don't I think I think tags are over the counter. I think they're readily available.'t don't, don't quote me on that. I'm sure it's wrong. but at the same time I think we can bait and again, don't quote me that it's wrong but it's that whole aspect of you're going after an animal that is in their neck of the woods and their neck of the woods is the thickest piece of god-given country you could ever happen and it's you can't even barely see your hand in front of your face and it sounds like the same way when it comes to those side hills and those rhododendrons you're just i mean shoot you just see a few feet in front of you and heaven knows if there's going to be something waiting there or you've already kicked it up to have it go 400 yards or wherever it's it's gone off to you guys did say that or you did mention that you have been successful on these hunts what what's the process so if you've got this bear strung up you know even if 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 you're an observer looking at this what's your what's your process or what was the process different from bear to deer is a deer hunter going to kind of know what they're doing as far as is going in and getting the cuts out or excuse me getting the the field dress done or is it its own beast that there's going to be things that uh, someone taking this challenge on is going to be wanted to think about.
0: Yeah, great question. So before I go into that part, I will say I did exaggerate on elevation. It was usually like six, seven hundred feet in elevation. So I didn't want to be I didn't want to be called a liar or somebody listening. But no, great question. <laughs> so, um, the first bear I killed, I was one of those really, really um, lucky people. I shot one when I was thirteen years old, and. To give you an example of what it's like for some people, my grandfather uh, shot a bear two minutes before me that same day, and that was his first bear, but he hunted for him for 45 years until he actually killed one. And I hunted two years, and I killed one. Um, So the first one I killed, um, uh, there was a guy in camp who had a lot of experience, and in the excitement and everything else, he gutted the bear for me. So I literally remember nothing about the processing of that animal because... Um, I did nothing, and, and I think it was taken to a butcher shop, and I had very little to do with that. My second one I can I can remember better, and, and what I've and since then I've, I've gutted a couple others, and you know handled a couple others. Um, the the gutting process is is there's no difference. There's absolutely nothing you want to do differently to that animal at the time of harvest to take care of it the uh, it's a little bit weird just because you might be dealing with an animal that has a lot of fat and I, and the other thing too is like the the you know deer you're used to hair and a bear has has fur and the way it the way it cuts in that first thing uh like it, it it's kind of neat because if you have a sharp knife it'll make that tsk, tsk, like sound when when you when you break through that fur and get into that fat layer but now opening them up and and treating them the same way and the other thing too like unless you're going to get like just a, a head mount or shoulder mount of the bear um, you can cut them up pretty high You're almost like right across where uh, where their wingspan would be uh, up into the chest cavity and open that chest cavity up a little bit um, you know you talked about meat earlier and the the quality of meat and what you can do with it and the flavors and stuff there's a there's definitely a misconception that bear is. Not a good quality meat. It's not very well. It, nobody wants to taste it. It tastes like you know, whatever bad thing you want to call it. Um, not been my experience, but there's there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, people shoot a bear. It's it's an exciting time, and everybody wants to go around and drive that thing around the county and show it to everybody, and. I'll tell you, my second bear, she had a layer of fat on her that was just flat out incredible. I mean, it was a few inches. And the amount of heat that that holds on that meat, um, if if you don't take care of that in a short amount of time, get that hide off and, and get that meat exposed to air, uh, I think that's when people start talking about it tasting bad or it's spoiled. Um that's that's just been my experience. I mean, there is something to be said about you are what you eat, and I, I do think if it's a if it's a bear in the hardwoods of Pennsylvania that's eating a lot of browse and acorns and beech nuts and you know stuff like that, like that's a better quality meat than the ones that go in the cities and dumps you know dumpster dive. And there's there's probably to be something said about the the quality of meat there, but I think the biggest thing is just care. I think people um we get so hung up on uh the the thrill and the adventure of the hunt and it, i think it's amplified for a bear because like unless you're a, a freak in pennsylvania you don't kill a bear every year like it, it's it doesn't happen that often so when you finally kill one it, it's a big deal and you don't want that moment to end
1: absolutely absolutely there's a bit of restraint that goes with that you got to get through the excitement get it on ice get it chilled and make sure that that thing take some pictures we're in a day and age now it's not like the old days too where the only way people are going to see it is uh by showing up at the gas station or showing up at the bar or with the back of the truck now we can take pictures and you mm-hmm. can send them. <laughs> so it's like that piece of technology as much as i'm not a big fan of technology Here I am talking to a man about bear in, uh, in Pennsylvania while sitting in my basement, like that part of technology I love, but the ability to send photos and videos of harvests between hunters, that is such a, that's such a cool thing. So yeah, yeah. No, knowing that you have to take care of this animal. And just like you were saying, like that fat is going to hold that in and man, you got to get that sucker hung up, get him, him or her, get that thing cool as quick as possible Mm -hmm. um of the of the cell do you remember the celebration meal that you had from either that first or that second bear even if it was went to the butcher shop what was your what was your first experience with bear like of your of your own first bear
0: yeah it's hard for me to really remember i can't remember if we did this with the first one or not but the thing that surprised me the most it might have been the first one Um, so my aunt and uncle have a, have a butcher shop and, uh, they're, they're actually in in Delaware and they, they butcher like something, somewhere like 1800 deer a year and they've got all kinds of crazy recipes and do some real cool stuff. So, uh, with their, their recipes and stuff they do being one of my favorite, we sent a bunch of the meat to them to get processed and I was blown away at the tenderloins or 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 the, I should say the backstraps. Um, they, um. Put them through a tumbler uh, I think they butterfly them and put them through a tumbler with one of their secret you know marinade concoctions and vacuum sealed them and just eating it like a steak at, at a at medium I wasn't I usually like if I order a, a slab of beef a ribeye like I always I always order a steak the way I say you know just the way I would you know how often I win an argument with my wife rare. Uh, That's usually how I I order my steak. I I didn't want to do it with a bear just because, you know, you hear about temperature and treating it like pork and stuff like that. But at medium, uh, fantastic. Like, it was just really, really good. And and another thing I remember from, I think it was my second one, we would take the, the whole hind quarter and treat it exactly like ham, cure it like a ham and the only reason you knew it was something a little bit different is just because it was the, the texture's darker. It's a, it's a darker color, but, I mean, it would pull and be stringy just like ham. It tasted just like ham. I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, we made sandwiches with it and all kinds of stuff. So those are two things that I can remember from the last ones uh, that I killed. Um, I've had a couple other, you know, snacks and meals as such from from friends and people that have killed them in camp, but those are what I vividly remember from mine.
1: Gotcha. <clears throat> yeah, just a straight cut of that backstrap to have that served up as a steak. Like, sometimes, you know, people do go off, and I, I do it myself, I go off onto fancy land and really want to make something, but at the same time, there's something about something super simple, literally pulling it off the animal. Yeah, add a little seasoning to it, but let let the bear meat bear be bear meat. Let's not hide it. Let's not let's not fancy it up. Just call it what it is. And there's something about that that really does more often than not. When I'm talking to somebody about a celebration meal, that's really what it is. It's just unadulterated piece of X Y Z. And so to I, have I'm really stink. hoping
0: I kill one here soon, and I I want to do that exact same thing, but with just salt and pepper. I just want to be as as because I want to remember what the meat tastes like without doctoring it up with a crazy marinade and stuff.
1: Yeah, the marinades are great, but just like you said right there, like, yeah, I want it face value. I want to know this critter. Not only did I be the first person to lay hands on it, but to really, like, you know what, if I'm going to you know bless my table with this animal, like, I want to know it from its natural element. So, I hey, hats off to you for going as strict as possible on that. Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review uh, to go ahead and do that it all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on facebook the huntivore or instagram at huntivore got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share or have some show topic ideas email us at huntivore Back to the show. I did have an experience, and you can probably, I don't, I don't know how much coon hunting you do. Um, through random chance, my dog treed a really large raccoon. Mm-hmm. Like, this sucker's 20, 25 pounds. He was solid. He was a big old boar of a raccoon. And... We were out for squirrels and rabbits and I was like just kind of keeping an eye on the dogs cuz usually they'll they'll chase a squirrel and they we don't have any like training on them as far as like small game but it was like you know at least we'll get the, we'll get them running they'll at least be somewhat relaxed once we get back to the house if my hunting is subpar because of them fine that's fine with it I'm okay but the one dog treed this this raccoon And it was one of those elements of no return. Like, this thing was going to, he had to go. So I already had my tags on me, shot this sucker. And I'm like, well, I've really wanted to try what, uh, what Raccoon is all about. I've heard a lot on both sides of it, that they're trash pandas, no good. And then I've even heard on the other side that it's one of those delicacies that, you know, you've just been overlooking time after time after time. And this was an excellent opportunity to do that. Uh, pelted him all the way out from, from tail to nose. So I have that actually saved up. I want to get a hat made, um, already have aspirations for getting some more coon now just for hats, because I think the boys need them. I think we all need Daniel Boone hats as we run yeah, around. In our woods. Yeah. But when I skinned him out, I've just from pictures that I've seen of bear and then just the element that I had with this raccoon, I, I think it's probably the, the, the closest translation that I've had, it was like seal blubber. As I was peeling the skin off, how thick of a layer of fat this raccoon had on him. Now, it was here it was in January. So, yeah, he had his full thick. He was really trying to get, I mean, he was easily getting by with as much blubber as he had on him. Mm-hmm. And then from that, once I got the hide off and I got through the blubber and I got into the meat, actually the the time that I had left because here I am pelting this thing out. I'm holding up the pelt, admiring it. And my wife comes down in the minivan. She's like, are you ready to go? And I totally forgot we were heading to town. So here I am already <laughs> bloodied up hands like, oh, yeah, give me a second. And I quick take off the hams. I had the vac sealer down in the shop, so I quick vac sealed the hams. And unfortunately, the, the whole front quarter of that raccoon had to go to waste just because I could not. I did not have the time to handle it. But I did get the pelt and the hindquarters quarters. But that same t- that same color, that deep mahogany red of of that raccoon just reminded me so much of like the images that I see from from bear and its super dark flesh. Um, through through just like your experiences with bear, what what causes them to be such a dark meat? Is it just because they're constantly roaming they're more of like that marathoner where it's just they're they're always moving i mean yeah and then the element of fat i, I understand that they're always they're hibernators but is it just like that it's the rich richness of that bear because they're constantly moving or what do you think is uh the makeup what do you what do you think that makeup why is it so dark
0: that's a great question uh I, i'd be lying to you say that i really knew i really don't <laughs> if, if i was uh if if you asked me this question a couple of years ago, like closer out of school, I might remember the scientific terms from all my biology classes. But there's 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 something that goes on within the muscle tissue of an animal when it's when it's highly mobile. You know that's why ducks and geese are, are darker. And I would say that that's probably very similar to to the bear and stuff. Um, the I, I talked to the Pennsylvania biologist. I had her on our show, and she told us that the home range of a male averages about 22 square miles. So that's a, a big chunk of ground wow. in our area. And they've got records of bears traveling um, farther than that straight line distance. You know, we, we've got a lot of records of bear that are nuisance bears that get trapped and relocated, and they'll get relocated gosh 50 plus miles and like either get recaptured in the same general area or like get killed on their way headed back um that happens happens quite a lot so there's probably something to that i do we, we were talking about the raccoon so i would say the the raccoon thing there is a lot of a crossover and similarity in those those two species as far as like the texture like you're accurate in that but the fun, you know this is off topic, but i got to share this because it's hysterical. I have a, a buddy of mine who wanted to try raccoon, and his way of trying it, the first time he tried it, he had his in-laws come over for dinner, and he threw a coon in a crock pot and fed it to him like a pork barbecue. They had no idea they ate raccoon. And then when it was all said and done, then he told them that they ate raccoon. So my I said the first thing, I was like, did your wife know? And he's like, Yeah, she knew. I was like, And she was okay with you surprising your in laws with that. He's like, oh, Yeah, she was good goodness. with that. So I thought that was hysterical. So you're talking about eating raccoon. I've never ate it. I've been one of those, like, I'm, I'm not like too good that I won't eat co- like a raccoon, but I've also been one of them, like, you know, people talk about, Oh, this, this, this thing is good. That's good. Oh, liver's great. Oh, tongue is great. Yeah, you know what else is good? A ribeye. Like, <laughs> I love it.
1: Um, yeah, it's uh, your buddy. I don't know if he's ballsy or stupid or both
0: <laughs> to, um, to go that far and that extent. I haven't come up with a conclusion either. I just thought it was a great <laughs> story that was worth telling. That is a great
1: story. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to let anybody know that I, that's, that's what I'm going to be serving them. But, man, what a, what a treat that is for that guy. You did mention... Now, if anybody tunes into uh, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, we had the, the segments there on um, Deer Camp. We had several. And actually, one of those, we were both on, Mitchell. And I wanted to go with this as well because you mentioned you're not too proud of a person to to try these different elements. But you are too proud of a person to pick up a fresh kill off the side of the road. Is this is this true, Mitchell? Are you too good to get yourself a piece of roadkill?
0: It, it's one of those things where it's like, what, what do you need? You know, if I'm, in, if I'm in a situation where I need to, to fill my freezer in such a void, I am not too good. But I, I'm fortunate and I'm blessed that um, I harvested an ample supply of deer this year. I've got a freezer full of it. I've got a freezer that's got some beef and pork in it, and unless I, so this would be my way of, of I would have a lot of criteria. Number one, I would probably have to see the deer get killed by the car to know that it was extremely fresh. I would also have to say it's got to be, like, it was hit in the head only, and it's not going to be a giant Coagulated blood mess when you skin that thing because road kills. I've been part of some that you skin them and it's like this wasn't even worth my time because it's just demolished. Um, so that would be my number two stipulation, and number three is the phase of life. I would I would have to have a pretty good chunk of free time in the that immediate time, and rarely am I driving on the road and have all three of those things happen for me to say that I would I would take uh, the road kill. Um, I was actually part of a uh, a, a friend circle, and uh, they 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 had their I think it was their bear camp. Um, I was not at this camp, but they told me this story. Um, you know, around you know, drinking a Friday night, drinking some beers and stuff. Somebody in the camp brought venison sausage up and wanted to share it with the group, and they made venison sausage and, and these sandwiches and everybody ate it and every single person that ate them got sick. Come to find out later the individual that brought them was from a roadkill. And apparently the time of death and time of butchering gap was very questionable but they didn't know until after the time. So it's stuff like that where I'm just like you know I just uh, uh yeah you get what I'm saying. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yes, I do. Hey, I love the idea that you have a criteria that you were saying, like, listen, like if I'm not above it, but these are things that are going to be in my 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 wheelhouse as far as I'm if I'm driving, I witness it. It's got to be like, you know, just like a head hit or it's got to be quick and there's got to be ample amount that I'm going to have to take because that's going to be a lot of free time. So no, I love, love hearing that, uh, completely just giving you a hard time, Mitch, um, <laughs> given my route to work like during the winter time, um, where, it, where it is super nice and cold, I go through, uh, a lot of rural area in order to get to the school that I, that I teach at and I hit the, the same pattern. I hit it in the morning and I hit it in the afternoon. And so it's like I've got great survey on the same track of ground. I'm not traveling all over the place. Um, I've got a facility that's here. And then I have a podcast that I talk about eating wild game and how many different ways that we can prepare it. So anytime that I get a chance of something where I don't have uh, emotional investment in that this can really just be, hey, I want to try this. And I usually for I, I label it salvage. If it's a buck, it's Sal. And if it's a dough, it's Sally. And that's how I know for myself out of the fr- free, out of the freezer that, yeah, this is uh this is something that I don't have a lot of investment in. So let's go wild. Let's go crazy. Gotcha. But yeah, I would I would even say like I I know that dude who picked up the roadkill, made the sausage, and it was not only was the the uh the harvest questionable but i'm thinking if the harvest was questionable i would say even maybe the sausage making was questionable but there might have been oh, agreed. in that agreed. so because i know with sausage if if you don't get that right if you don't get that temperature spot on you know it can you can have bad things go on, on the inside of that casing it is its own little microbe uh like its own little biology going on inside those oh, things
0: absolutely absolutely
1: well, hey, we have come to the crescendo of our show here, Mitch. We are at where we finally get a chance to join up with the, the Emperor's Table, and we get to talk about the dish that you are going to present.
0: Okay, this is it steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked? I want time? no question. You hungry? Hey, Ma! we get some meat left! the devotees and the devotees!
1: Come on, get it! Yeah. So, Mitch, having thought a little bit about this, maybe you haven't thought about a little bit about this, but we are bringing you to a made up, ideal situation where we will have everybody from the sportsman's empire at a table, and we are bringing in a dish to pass and a dish to share with others given where you live in your region given your style of cooking maybe it's someone where you're calling in and maybe it's you you're utilizing your wife's cooking your grandma's cooking what is going to be the dish that you are going to bring to share at this amazing event
0: Okay, so I did give it some thought, and I think I would have to go with my wife's favorite that I I make, and it's it's her absolute favorite. So, um, you know, venison being the lean cut that it is, and us being the chubby Americans that we are, I, of course, have to make that a little bit richer, right? So one of my wife's favorite is I will take the loin of a deer, and I will just cut it into sections. Maybe you know I'm not I'm not butterflying it and I'm not cutting steaks. I would just cut it into roughly uh, let's just say a four or five inch piece. So you know you can picture how how large of a of a piece it'd be, almost like a roast cut type thing. Um, my what I will do then is I'll fry up some onions, maybe some green peppers, a little bit of fresh garlic. Um, Actually, I take that back. The the onions and the peppers would get fried individually. Then I'll take a whole clove of garlic, cut the top off, put some oil in it, wrap it in foil, and stick it in the oven. Get that garlic soft. Uh, Soften a block of cream cheese, chop up some fresh parsley, and uh, I'll mix all those things together. uh, A little bit of salt and pepper to taste, and uh, I'll I'll slice that backstrap uh, kind of like a, put a little pocket and stuff it full of uh, all those goodies, the, the stuffed cream cheese. It's got all that mixed together. And then uh, I'll take, uh, take some bacon and wrap that sucker in bacon, and in the smoker it goes. And I'll put that in the smoker until it gets about. I, I usually like to go low and slow with that, so I'll, I'll keep it at a uh, maybe a mid A low to mid 200s temperature and let that sucker get up to about 110, 120 internal. And uh, pull that out, and let it sit for a little bit, and then I'll uh, I'll probably put it on my grill and reverse sear it, or put it in the oven and broil it real quick. Get that bacon nice and crispy, and seal all that in there. And that would be my uh, my my dish to the emperor, my dish that I would hope he would he would say and say, well done, peasant. You can keep podcasting on my network. <laughs>
1: Oh, I love it. And as the cupbearer of this whole thing, I would definitely have to take two pieces just to double-check because this sounds incredible. That's a nod to your Midwest uh, closeness with the cream cheese, but at the same time still holding true to your eastern Pennsylvania roots. Um, So I love the idea, too, where you do the two-stage. I think guys will go to the smoker with the bacon wrapped and – They pull it out, they rest it, and then because the temperature is already there, they're scared to go that second step where you are saying, hey, get that grill ripping hot. I'm not getting a ton of heat that's going to go through this thing, but if you're going to wrap the bacon on your stuff, the last thing you want to do is serve soggy bacon. So you go to the broiler, you go to the grill, and really crispen up. I think that's a true, like, that's a... That's a true forte to what you're doing with that dish. I think that's something that's forgotten that is actually a really good key thing that you did on
0: there. I think when I first uh, learned about reverse searing anything, I was like, where has this been all my life? Like just sealing in that moisture and just getting a good crust on the outside of stuff. Like to me, that was game changer. You know, wild game is a lean meat. Like deer is a lean meat, which I love. But it's not, like, I, I personally got to be very careful. Like, I didn't actually like deer steak growing up. Well, the reason I didn't like deer steak is dad burned the piss out of it. So I, I it so was, it was like chewing on a piece of shoe leather. Um, so the moisture content. But, I mean, like, searing that in there with the bacon and stuff. Like, that just holds that moisture in so well and just makes it such a lean, tasty piece of, of meat. And, you know, that crispy bacon. You know, who who doesn't want crispy bacon, right?
1: absolutely absolutely well mitch excellent job on your dish go ahead and just hold on here for a second as i let our listeners on out folks i hope you enjoyed our chat here taking a quick jaunt over to pennsylvania talking about big woods and big bears just something new that man if we could ever get the experience to do that it would be well worth it that protein Is as rich as its appearance being super dark, and that the fat is something that you can totally use in a hundred different ways, whether that's rendered out and using as a grease or even in in your biscuits. But folks, whether you got a fat raccoon on a string, or you're chasing down a big old bear, whatever knife that you plan on uh, using on that thing, make sure that that knife is very sharp.